Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wunder Mobility Podcast. Today, I'm sitting with Stefan Fondran from Europcar. Welcome. Thank you. And we are sitting here in person. That's the first on the podcast. So far, everything's been recorded remotely. So I think we're very close neighbors here in Hamburg, actually, and figured out why not uh, just come over here and, and see each other in person. While we walked into the room, there was a film running, a branding film from your website and basically ends by saying, Mobility services since 1949. How's that going more recently? Well, how is it going? Actually, I think we are in a situation that is quite challenging, as we all know. But actually, we saw after the first lockdown, we saw some business coming back. In the meantime, with all the new political measurements to get control over COVID, we are unfortunately back into a situation like we saw over springtime. But since yesterday, we are all very positive and we are looking forward because of the latest news in regards of finding a new, how you call that uh, in English? What is it? New uh, immunizations. Immunization. First time, some announcements yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that makes all of us quite, uh, quite happy and hopeful, of course. Europe Car is a large organization. I think about 8,000 people working there overall. Hundreds in Germany, I think 500 branches in Germany. One of the big names in mobility services, I think everybody, at least in Europe, knows Europe Car as a car rental business. That business has been around for a long time. And now our company, Wonder Mobility, and others also listening are sort of more newer entrants to the space. And everybody thinks new mobility is sort of a new topic and a hype. What has changed for you and for Europe Car in the last five years, if anything, what are you noticing? What have what has changed business? Well, I think a lot of things changed, but what's not changing is the demand of mobility needs. I think in today's world, we are using quite a lot of new terms. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking back to quite some time ago when I started to work for Eurocar, that's actually two and a half years ago. I was asked uh, by a politician here in Hamburg, Well, Mr. Fondran, tell me why you as Europe car are not providing any car sharing. I said, wait a minute, what do you mean? Uh, he said, why don't you offer car sharing? I said, okay, first we have a company that's called Ubico and we are doing corporate car sharing there. But second, we as a company, we are sharing cars as Europe car since roughly 90 years. Because when we talk about car sharing, or rent a car, I think we very often distinguish between the length of rent. But at Europe Car, you can, of course, rent or share cars for an hour, for a day, for a week, for a month, or even longer. So at the end of the day, the commercial model of a car rental company is mainly, let's say, starting with one day, but it's not limited, limited to that. And the car sharing is very often starting with minutes. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Our genius is to share cars. You were more deeper as a company in car sharing before as a partner for, for Daimler and Cardigo. Yes. You left consumer car sharing, basically. Are you going to come back? Honestly, I think um, we are pretty happy with our strategic approach to 
to concentrate our forces when it comes to car sharing and corporate car sharing, because we see a huge demand there. We see customers are really needing new solutions for their fleet and how to combine private use and, and corporate use. And as we are having a huge base of large corporate customers at Europe Car Mobility Group, I think the concentration of this kind of business is very smart. And you mentioned also the brand name Ubico, corporate car sharing. What does that mean practically? So what happens to the car? How is it being used? Yeah. Well, actually, it's uh, large corporations. They have, for example, a fleet of a couple of hundreds of cars. Mm -hmm. And they want to get rid of handling it by themselves. Okay. They are not the expert in that. And what we are doing there, first of all, we organize the fleet, we handle it, we are providing the software for renting it out, for sharing these kind of, of cars within the corporate company. And of course, we are also delivering a lot of data for these customers. At the end of the day, uh, we are optimizing the mobility spent for these corporate customers. And you mentioned you're happy about the strategic choices, kind of focusing more on the on the corporate part in, in car sharing, not so much consumer car sharing. Before we started recording, we talked about, is there even anybody making money, being profitable in consumer car sharing? And it's not so clear. Maybe there are somewhere around the world. In Germany, it's, it's not clear. What about the other end when you're not minute-based, maybe not by days, but now on a monthly basis, subscriptions? That's a new topic also in consumers. Um, it's getting some attention and some people are saying maybe a larger part of car sales would be happening in that way in the future. Is that an area that you're interested Absolutely. in? Absolutely. It's a growing business. We also launched over the summer some subscription model and we are going to offer additional subscription models in the next coming weeks. We are focusing quite a lot on mid and long term rental but also on very individual subscription models. And we see there a lot of demand and we're going to focus quite a lot here. What do you think is the key to converting sort of a consumer into a subscription model? Because in some ways that has also been around before. Maybe it's not been called that. You, you did have month, a monthly rate before, I, sure. I believe, like a weekly rate, a monthly rate. So that's already been an option before, but now it's Is it just packaged in a different way or how is that product different once we now call it a uh, I think subscription? A couple of, couple of things. First, we see a change in customer demand. I think also during the COVID crisis now, you could see that customer behavior changed quite a lot. And what became obvious during this crisis is that a lot of people who did not longer have her own car, we're missing it. Why? Because the car today in the environment we are in is kind of a safety zone mm -hmm. for the people. So a lot of people, instead of using public transport systems, are now sticking to use a car. And as a lot of people living in the large cities do not longer have their own car, they are looking for getting one, maybe just for a period of time or only for the weekends or only for a couple of months because in summertime they use the bicycle or the e-scooter or whatever it is. But in winter times they prefer to have their own car. And a lot of people who maybe did also some, some 
long haul travel or, or, or visiting parents over the weekends. And they did that in the past, maybe by train. A lot of them now asking for a car to do that. So I think you're yeah, describing kind of new consumer behavior. The car is becoming more interesting in the US used car prices are documented to go up, kind of interesting people is trying to buy their way back into owning a car. Now you basically are going head to head with what cities, what most cities are trying to achieve or what's on the political agenda, or maybe not using a train, not using public transportation, getting back into your own car. That's just responding to consumer demand. But do you see a conflict there that you think will continue after Corona? Or are we just gonna, is that just a phase for a few months until immunizations are widespread and then we're back on track to actually, sharing and, and using actually a really good question. What's going to happen after? Mm. First, I don't, I'm not sure that in the near future we can talk about after COVID because I think this will be with us for unfortunately maybe the next couple of years. Okay. Second, at the end of the day, I think that a lot of customers Next generation, so I'm 57 years old, okay? So the younger generation, of course, there is a different uh, behavior. And subscription models are in their daily life. You know, I remember first time I did my iTunes subscription. I thought, why should I pay 19 euros or whatever a month for, for, for music? But now I'm getting used to it as well. If I look at my daughters, for them, it's just normal to click somewhere and do a subscription. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a change of behavior that's not there for a moment. This is a continuous change. And there, I think we as mobility providers have to adapt as well. Are you envisioning taking also other vehicle types into these programs? So right now we talk mainly about cars, but there are these very successful bike sharing systems and maybe now e-bike sharing or subscription services launching you see yourself basically just kind of um, as an operator of vehicles? It doesn't matter what vehicle type or how do you think about those? No, first you have to look at Europe Car Mobility Group in total. And if you look at Europe Car Mobility Group, you see that we are offering quite a huge diversity in regards of mobility. In Germany, we are focusing very much today on car and van and truck rental. We are also having Ubeco, as I said before, as, as, uh, as car sharing for corporate customers. And we are also looking into other options. I'm a big fan of, of for example, this e-scooter stuff. And honestly, I think this 2020 was a very special year. We all had to concentrate on our existing business to take a lot of measurements to, to, to cope with it, with the, with the situation. But for next year, we are quite ambitious to also enlarge our offerings. And I'm, I'm a big fan of working together with others. You don't have to invent everything by your own. So collaboration, I think, is very important and key. And I'm pretty sure you're going to see a lot of new service, additional services from Europe Car Mobility Group in the near future. Which role do these 500 or so branches that you are running in Germany also play in that? I think that when we think of traditional yeah. car ownership, dealing with cars, you have to sort of go out of the 
city and then maybe that place closes down at 2 p.m. on Saturday, the only day when you have time. And now when you are sort of beginning to compete with dealerships in a way, you have yeah, more attractive locations with other opening hours. But it's also, I'm sure, like a huge cost factor on the other side. So how can you, how do you think about those local presences and how can they play a part in the strategy? First of all, the local branches are a USB for us. You know, being close to customers is very important in this kind of business. And opening hours of stations, of, of, of branches, yes, is sometimes a limitation. But with the digitalization, with the new technologies that we are, by the way, also investing in and implementing, opening hours are no longer as important as they've been before. Mm -hmm. So we talk about kiosk solutions, we talk about handheld solutions. Our vision, of course, is that customers going to open their car with their smartphone. And of course, there is a, a, lo a long way to go because the number of fleet you have as the largest car rental company in Europe is huge. And uh, the holding periods of our cars are, in average, not very long. Mm -hmm. So we are looking for solutions together with the OEMs, with uh, the car manufacturers. Technology is there and digitalization is uh, moving quite fast. So our goal is to, to offer this kind of solutions over the course of the next years for each and every car all around at Europe Car Mobility Group uh, globally. How many cars are we talking about? So more than 100,000, right? Where in Where in Germany? Uh, globally. Oh, oh, yes. You talk about more than 100,000 in Germany already. Roughly how many globally? Is it 400 uh, or? I, I would say, uh, I, I don't have the number on the top of my head, but uh, it's a couple of hundred thousands. Yes. Yeah. And even more than 100,000 in Germany. Yes. And who stay, it's probably not um, public, but maybe stay probably less than a year. Absolutely. Um, in your fleet, so. That's the turnaround. And right now, most cars have to be basically equipped afterwards. They don't exactly. come off the factory with. They're exactly. not IoT enabled. When you think about these subscription models and competition with dealerships, would you even call it that? Or are we uh, no. on the wrong track? Is car rental basically going to replace, to some extent, car dealership? First of all, I, I think it's partnerships. At the end of the day, it's partnerships. We are working together also with local car dealers very often. Mm -hmm. We are also working, of course, with the big manufacturers. At the end of the day, the space of mobility is so big, I'm uh, pretty sure everybody can find his, his spot, his place. And our vision, of course, is to have open mobility for all. That's also one of our slogans. And looking at the at all the different areas, I think we have more than enough space where we can uh, put ourselves into and develop and grow. And we all know that mobility is a growing space. And we as Europe Car Mobility Group have the ambitions to to take quite a bit stake of that growth. What's something that happened in the industry in the last, let's say, more recent past, maybe two years or so, that has surprised you? Some of the trends we can already see, and then we're like surprised that they maybe unfold more slowly than we had thought in some cases. But what's something that happened faster than you thought or that you maybe underestimated at first? That's a good one. 
I think what surprised me to some extent, but at the end not really, was this e-scooter boom. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we saw it before with bikes. And uh, I was a little bit surprised that everybody putting thousands or ten thousands of these scooters into the large cities. And at the end of the day, uh, I think we were going to see a consolidation there as well. Because mm -hmm. I don't know how many different brands you can use here mm -hmm. in Hamburg today. Is it five, six or even more? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So we need some consolidation going to happen there as well. Because at the end of the day, I strongly believe that if you overflowed markets, that doesn't help the business at all. What's your position on the role of cities within that? Because that's when... Yeah. Some cities had their awakening a bit. Yes. They were getting scared to see some yeah. Yeah, pictures like elsewhere and were beginning to regulate more who could actually go there and how many vehicles you could put on the street each morning. And basically that goes on a spectrum from just monitoring, setting some rules to maybe being an, an operator yourself, basically. Now the bike sharing, the dominant bike sharing in most German cities is actually basically paid for by the city and yeah. um, the Stadtrats. But yeah. that could... Same concept could be applied to other vehicle types. How do you see this evolution of the role I, of cities? I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of regulation, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm not raised like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, I think as a city, you might have to step in at some point of time and start regulating because otherwise things are just getting out of control. But I think there is uh, more intelligent solutions out there than regulating And I also always believe that if you reach the top of the head of the people to make them explain why things cannot work like they do, it helps more than regulation. But it's also, I think it's, it's a common responsibility we all have in the mobility space to make sure that what we develop and all the new things we bring to the market at the end of the day do make sense and get the acceptance of the public here. When you talked about e-scooters, you said, okay, there were a lot of players coming at once, maybe surprisingly how quickly, and then large fleets in some cases, but are they really differentiated? Because in the end of the day, similar vehicles, consumers are probably not loyal to a single brand, just whatever scooter is closest to me. Is that a similar or the same challenge also in car rental, how to differentiate over there? You have access to the same vehicles probably. How do you basically even differentiate as a um, Europe car over a number of other yeah. car rental companies? Um, I think there is a, there's a difference. There's a big difference because, uh, first of all, if you look at car rental companies, you also differentiate on the services they deliver, mm -hmm. okay? And on the offers we do have. So, for example, Europe car positions themselves as a premium provider. But for example, in, in Germany, we also have the brands Buchbinder. We have the brand Interrent. Outside of Germany, we also have the brand Goldcar. Uh, Goldcar, you might know from uh, leisure destinations, mm -hmm. which is a low-cost car rental provider. And if I talk about Buchbinder here in Germany, we position them more in the mid-tier business, similar to the area where we position Interrent. Okay, so there's different positioning of brands, which is very important because at the end of the day, you also offer different quality of cars mm -hmm. and different services. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, 
more easy to do for a car rental company than for an e-scooter provider because the range of services we have is, is much, much bigger. The thing I personally most hoped for when, when I always went in the past to the Europe car station here in Rödingsmark, downtown Hamburg, is to know in advance what car I would get. Sort of the fear until the moment when they pull out the key and you learn that, <laughs> I don't know, it's a Peugeot 306 and you are like really hoping for <laughs> oh, I don't know, something else. I want to use BMW, but isn't that a huge like topic for consumers, especially when you get, go more into the longer term rental, not just for the one day that yeah. you want to actually be able to book a certain car, but then on the other hand, a huge operational challenge for you kind of allocating the inventory. Yeah. Is that something that is going to be possible in the future or it just doesn't of make sense? First, you get what you pay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. No. But even then, Jokes hardly aside. ever is the model guaranteed, right? Yes. No, no. You're absolutely right. So for a one-day, two-day rentals is a challenge. Uh, it's a logistic challenge. And uh, I think what people very often totally underestimating is the complexity we need to manage in the car rentals industry. Because, you know, people are renting, a, are renting out a car they want to return tomorrow at 12 o'clock. You rent the same car tomorrow after 2 p.m., But then customer decides to not return it or return it at a different station. And then the car you were waiting for that, that was reserved for yourself isn't there. And then, then the whole flexibility needs to get into action because we want to give you a car at least in the car category you were, you were choosing. Okay. Now talking about midterm, longer term rental, of course, we have very, very specific demands of customers and we are able to fulfill that. Because there we have longer lead times to prepare and to make sure we, we, we make a reservation for that car because we know you're coming tomorrow to pick up, for example, a, what is it, an Audi A4 or whatever. Okay. And then you're going to get that car because we know a couple of days in advance that you're going to rent this car for a week, for two weeks, for a month, for half a year, whatever it is. But for the short term, I agree that there's a challenge for all of us. But I think that's, uh, that's, of course, the reason why we talk about so-called car categories, where you rent a car in this category and we have different models in there. And uh, yes, of course, uh, there might be a, a, a wish for a very special car. But if you, if you address that upfront, we, I would say we regularly make it happen. All right. <laughs> that's a good promise. <laughs> Let's turn a little bit away maybe from the industry and talk also a bit about Yourself. So you mentioned you were at Europe Car for about two and a half years. How did you end up here and what's fascinating for you about this set of problems that you're dealing with here? Uh, how did I end up here? That's a good question. Well, I'm a, I'm a corporate travel guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm in the corporate travel industry since uh, 35 years. I started apprenticeship in a, in a travel agency a long time ago and um, I'm, I, I think I, I, I did all the things you can do in a corporate travel agency. And for the last, I don't know, what is it, 13 years, I was working for BZD Travel, mm -hmm. one of the largest global providers. And I was managing director and having a European position and things like that. But I was mid of 50s. And then I, I asked myself, Do I want to continue this another 10 years? Because I think I, I, I knew everything in this industry inside out. Okay. Might sound a little bit arrogant, but after 35 years, you really mm -hmm. understand the business. Okay. 
And uh, then when I asked myself, do I want to continue the next 10 years by doing so with all the routines and things like that, I, the answer was very quick and very fast and very clear. No. So basically you looked around for a challenge and then your car was the obvious target. Um, well, I was approached <laughs> by some people who thought I would be the right person to manage Europe Car yeah. Mobility Group here in Germany. And then I considered and yeah, it's it's it's. Honestly, I, I thought coming out of this corporate travel space, I have a clue about what a car rental company does. Okay. Honestly, uh, I found out very fast. I had no clue. Mm -hmm. I had no clue about the complexity that's sitting behind and all the things you need to manage there. Because I always say uh, a car rental company is more complex than an airline. And then everybody looks at me and says, are you crazy? Well, uh, it is more complex because of these hundreds of thousands of vehicles you have to manage mm -hmm. and you have to change every day. You, 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 you in-fleet, you de-fleet every day, hundreds, thousands of cars. And then you have these uh, 500 locations here in Germany where you have to make sure that not only a car is in this location, the right car for the right customer at the right time needs mm -hmm. to be there. And so the logistics behind is, is really fascinating. It's fascinating. And I love this business in the meantime, but it keeps you awake day and night. And it's, it's, it's really a challenge, but I never regret to take a decision to leave the other space, which was great as well. But now I really enjoy working in this mobility business here. When we spoke before, you mentioned that you are, yeah, you live in Bavaria. You've, you're, you can hear that, right? I can't even hear it. <laughs> in Nuremberg, I believe you're flying from at least yes. up to Hamburg every week. So probably a very stressful environment, maybe even more stressful now with this year. I can only imagine. How do you manage to um, get some energy back on the weekend or when you are back home and you're not here? That's a good dealing one. With all that First of all, the business gives you a lot of energy, mm. really, because you need this adrenaline to manage all these uh, things ongoing. Second... I have a nice family living close to Nuremberg and I'm going there every weekend. So I had hardly any weekend spent in, in Hamburg so far, but I have to change that as well because it's a, it's a fantastic city. And at the weekends, I uh, try to do some, some golf sports, which I enjoy. I enjoy being outside and I also have a fable for uh, historic cars. So uh -huh, I love right. to drive historic cars. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that brings me a lot of joy and re-energizes myself, yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot for spending time with us this morning. Thank you. My pleasure.